And today's gospel tells us of the many stories included in the, in the Bible of those whom God raised from the dead. There are many instances recorded in the Bible of this. We'll go through a few of them. For example, the widow of uh, Zarephath's son raised by Elijah in uh, 1 Kings. The Shunammite, Shunammite woman's son who was raised by Elisha. The, Israeli man, the Israelite man who touched the bones and the relics of um, Elisha was also raised from the dead. Um, our Lord Christ himself, uh, of course, rose from the dead. And we know that after his resurrection from the dead, many saints in Jerusalem rose from the dead and appeared to many and people recognized them. Um, we know that St. Peter raised up a, a young lady named Tabitha in Acts chapter 9. And in Acts chapter 20, we know St. Paul raised uh, somebody named Eutychus um, in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, these are just some of those recorded in the Bible. Who knows, of course, how many uh, people God really raised from the dead. It's probably beyond numbers. Um, also, during church history in the Senexarium, we read of many miracles of the saints who rose people from the dead. St. Bisada, St. Macarius, St. Athanasius with the tunic of St. Paul the Hermit, St. James or Jacob, the 50th Patriarch of Alexandria, raised a child from, dead, from the dead. Uh, St. Galesius, the ascetic, raised a dead man. And St. Philotheos, and uh, we recognize him in Abib, uh, he, his relics also raised somebody from the dead, and many others as well. So the Bible notes, though, that Christ himself in the Gospels rose three people from the dead. Uh, the widow's uh, widow of Nain's son, which we read today in Luke chapter 7, Jairus' daughter in Luke chapter 8, and Lazarus, of course, the famous story of Lazarus, who uh, Christ rose from the dead. But today's gospel is about the widow's uh, son. The impact of today's miracle, and just like in the other two as well, um, of raising somebody from the dead, had a huge impact on the society and, and, the, and the surrounding regions where Christ was preaching. This miracle was done openly. It was done in front of everyone with great evidence and genuineness. Christ had a large crowd that was following him because of the success of his ministry. And um, there was also another large crowd um, that was attending the funeral. So both of these crowds merged together. So there were thousands of people there uh, um, in, in, right before Christ performed this miracle. So it says, So that when, the young, when they saw the young man sit up, who was once dead, and began to speak, there was no denying the miracle. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has, ris has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this, and this report went about him, went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. So the miracle caused a great impact on that society, and many did believe. It's one of the most amazing miracles in Scripture, causing us to have great fear and wonder and great rejoicing and great awe in, in the presence of Christ and His power. But besides being in wonder at these miracles, they point to even something greater, greater truths. Like all the miracles, they point to something greater. We should, we're not just supposed to stand there in awe and, 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 uh, and wonder like it's like some kind of show that we're impressed with or something, right? It's, it always points to something deeper. It always points to a greater meaning, something that should impact our lives. Uh, he didn't do these or other miracles just for the sake of, um, you know, just entertainment or something like that. Uh, we always know that he did that. Like we always say, you know, how many times did he ride in a boat? Many times. How many times did he walk in water, walk on water? 
We only know of that one instance, right? But he rode in a boat many times. So he didn't just go around walking on water just to, like, as, a, as if it's a show or something. It always had a greater meaning or a greater lesson or a greater truth that we're supposed to point to. Because miracles impact people in different ways. Some don't even notice them. Uh, miracles that point to God's existence and providence in our lives happen every day, and we sometimes need to pause and think about them and consider them. The miracle of creation that surround us, the miracles of the scriptures that we have um, that are so readily available to us. Um, we're, uh, we were talking yesterday during the All Saints Day, and we were re like just pondering that you know the, the scriptures to us, along with the writings of the Church Fathers, have never been so available in human history as in our generation today. Uh, it's a really interesting time that we're living in. You know, the scriptures, you know, when we, when we considered, like, you know, how, how much it co would have cost to copy the Bible by hand, and it, it was like something like $20,000 in today's do dollars, like a copy of the Bible, that's how much it would cost. And it was carried in papyrus rolls, right? So it maybe fit the trunk of your car. So it wasn't something that you can just carry around with you all day. Uh, it took uh, maybe a year to copy the Bible from by one person copying it. Now, of course, we have them all on our devices, and, and we can just pull them up. We can do word searches. That's never been the case uh, in human history. So that's kind of like a miracle that we have this, right? The miracle of the Word of God that we have today. Uh, words written with the finger of God. Also, the miracles of the saints in our church, both who have passed on and also those alive in the flesh, we can learn about them in reading, we can converse with them and uh, look at their writings and their lives and come to have a greater depth in knowing our Creator. Some see miracles just um, and just stand there in awe of the miracles and even may praise God, but are confused as to what they mean. Therefore, you know, when we, you know, the effect of the miracles themselves have little impact on them, and we don't want to be like that. There are some who understand the true meaning and resist the truth of the miracle because they would need to repent, right? Even today you'll find in many, not all, but many underlying reasons for an atheist uh, to resist the existence of God is the fact that the Bible calls for purity. It calls for carrying the cross. It calls for forgiveness of others. And it calls for a way of life, right? Um, that maybe that atheist person doesn't want to actually have that person uh, change their lives. So, the, you know, it's easier just to deny uh, Christ's existence. But um, when we look at the miracle, we should allow it to transform us. So it's easier for those to simply deny God than rather th than look at the miracle and what that miracle points to. And if we really ponder them, to allow it to affect their lives. For example, we spoke yesterday uh, during Vespers about the, the miracle of St. Mary, for example, who appeared in Zetun for three years straight. Uh, we know thousands and thousands of people saw her, right? Many, many saw her. Uh, Muslims, um, atheists, uh, Protestants, Orthodox, Catholic, all everyone saw. But not everyone repented, and not everyone converted. There were many that did repent, there were many that did convert, but not everybody did. I'm sure there were Muslims who saw her and still be still maintain Muslim, uh, to be maintain uh, being Muslim, but uh, many did convert as well. So for the example, um, for this example, for example, uh, people did not you know allow it to impact their life, right? Um, in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, which we also talked about last night, it says that the rich man begged uh, the, his father Abraham that he can go and appear to his relatives. And, and ask them to repent. 
Abraham, please let me go to my uh, parent, like my family, and so that they don't end up in hell like I did. Um, and so he wanted to appear uh, to his family to tell them, watch out guys, you should repent, because look where I ended up, you, you need to repent. But Abraham told them, they have the Gospels, uh, they have the, the Bible, they have Moses, let them read the Scriptures. And he said, no, Abraham, if the rich man said this, if I were to appear to them, surely they would repent. And Abraham responded, those who do not repent after hearing these words are not going to repent, even if a dead man were to rise from the dead and come to them. So it's not always that the miracle has uh, that kind of an impact on somebody. So the meanings of the miracle are sometimes lost for those whose hearts are not really ready to repent yet. But there are the remaining few who will both stand in awe and respect and praise God uh, at the miracle and also look to where the miracle is pointing to and what uh, that should impact our lives and how it should impact our lives. What these miracles mean universally and in our own personal lives. They have the courage, the strength to look deeper at what the miracle is pointing to and let it transform their life and let it lead where it should lead, which is, of course, repentance and purity and forgiveness of others and so on. So let's explore some of these deeper meanings in today's gospel. First, we read about Christ's really deep compassion. He really was genuinely uh, had compassion for those around him. He had compassion and love for those whom he was bringing healing to. It wasn't just to glory, you know, just to show or anything like that. He really uh, felt deep compassion for them. And there's many other instances in the Bible where that happens. For example, in Matthew chapter nine. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And in Matthew, uh, elsewhere in Matthew, it says, And when Jesus went out and saw the great multitude, he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Also, he says himself, I have compassion on the multitude because they have continued with me now three days. We know that at Lazarus' death, he wept. It says, Jesus wept at the sight of the misery of among all the people because of Lazarus' death. He, he really wept for them. That shows his compassion. In today's reading, um, with the lady who was a widow and who had only one son who ended up dying, it says that he had compassion on her. But though he was compassionate on these specific instances, he was also compassionate about humanity um, on a larger scale. He was thinking of what afflicts everyone, the entire human race. He sees what sin has done to us and how it's brought us down to death. And he wept and had compassion. Um, and his, his empathy and his um, love for us was exposed on whoever he met. It was because of Adam's sin that death entered into the world. And this was like sad for him. He had compassion on us. Sin separated us from the source of life, who had no sin. Of course, if he's the source of life and he has no sin, then if we allow sin to enter into our lives, that automatically separates us from him. And thus, death and sickness and misery enters into the world and became part of the human experience. It's because of sin. Sin brought us down from that amazing way that he created us in his image. God places us on such a high and majestic level. He honors us, us more than the world can ever dare to honor us. It's sin that brings us down and casts us uh, way below than how we were created. 
So he wept at this situation of humanity, allowed him, allowed, that allowed his life-giving compassion to pour on to everybody. Likewise, we also remember God's compassion and have the same compassion towards each other, right? We should use that as an example. As uh, St. Peter says in chapter 3, first epistle of St. Peter, chapter 3, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this that you may inherit a blessing. This is what we're called to do. We're called to show that level of compassion, that love, even when people are cruel to us, even when people are persecuting us, because uh, it could be difficult at times to show that compassion, especially to those who are cruel to us or mean to us or even persecuting us. But it becomes a lot easier when we remember God's compassion and the compassion that Christ showed on, on the people he met. The other thing this miracle of today shows that Christ had power over death. We know this for a fact. If we ask, if anybody, uh, if any Christian were, were to be asked, can Christ raise somebody from the dead? Of course, the answer is going to be immediately, sure. But do we really believe that, right? Um, we say, yeah, of course, he did so in the Old Testament, like the examples we read today. We read in Ezekiel how God, for example, showed Ezekiel a field of dead bones. You guys know this story? He, feel, he showed him a, a field of dead bones. Um, pretty... Uh, striking uh, view that the Bible describes here, and so we'll read just a portion of it. And so the prophet did, did so, and uh, he went to this field of bones, um, and this is what he saw. He said, I prophes this is Ezekiel chapter 37, I prophesied, and there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews of the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered over them. And breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. So he saw this amazing scene of these this field of bones, maybe because of a battle or something, all these bones were in the field. And then Christ rose this whole army up again, put the flesh on their on their bones and put breath into their life. Of course, these their spirit did not return to them, but he's he proved to Ezekiel that he has the power to reassemble our human nature again um, through his creative power. St. Cyril says of Alexandria, he says, He who created in the beginning is able again to renew unto incorruption and life. So Christ is able to do that because he's the one who created us in the beginning. We can speak much more, of course, of Christ's power over death and um, and we will, God willing, in the coming feasts. Uh, but one point St. Cyril makes, that our Lord came and touched the coffin. Uh, he touched the open coffin. Those who carried him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So what's the importance of the fact that, you know, why couldn't he just have said, Young man, I say to you, arise? Or why not just think it? You know? But the fact that he came and touched the coffin and said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And we find, like we talked last night during Vespers, that we find that Christ, um, oftentimes, the, the one action, as St. Cyril of Alexandria describes, the one action of his humanity and divinity, it's always one action performing the miracle. To emphasize that his body, of course, is life-giving. His body is united to his divinity, 
and therefore is life-giving. And we partake of that body on the altar, of course. And so uh, very powerful that we encounter Christ in a very real and tangible way on the altar uh, through the Eucharist. The third point that uh, today's lesson teaches us, of course, is that we should, this re um, resurrection, if you would, of uh, the widow's son was temporary, right? We know that later on, uh, this young man ended up growing older, maybe, and he ended up dying again, right? Because that's the nature of things. Same with Lazarus, and same with um, the the daughter, right? They they all they all ended up dying again. Um, so this miracle teaches us to look to that eternal resurrection, that resurrection that will lead to us being resurrected from the dead and never dying again. If we're not looking at those end of days, the second coming, and the resurrection from the dead, we're not really practicing the Christianity that we're supposed to be practicing. Um, this is where our life begins. This is where our true life begins. This is where the rewards are kept for us. This is where mercy and justice will shine forth from Christ. This is the true resurrection that, unlike the examples we gave earlier of all those people that were raised from the dead, they ended up dying. This second resurrection, right, this, this real resurrection at the end of times will be everlasting world without end. This is why at the end of the creed we say, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the coming age. Amen. Looking to that true resurrection, we remind ourselves that we're only visitors here on earth, just visiting. We're just passing through. Looking there to that eternal life affirms our belief that the dead do indeed rise from the dead and will never die again or never be sick again. It gives us every courage to face every challenge in this world. Looking to that eternal, uh, that eternal home, that second, that, you know, the, the second coming and that resurrection, looking there gives us a depth of peace and removes any kind of anxiety that we could face in life uh, that the world can throw at us because we see that even worse, life's worst challenges are only temporary as a cloud that kind of hangs over us today, but tomorrow it blows away. Um, the miracle of today is a pledge and a promise of the hope prepared for us at the true resurrection of the dead, which is, of course, to come in that last day. We know that Christ will perform these things because he promised them, and he is the truth, and the truth, of course, always follows through. As Isaiah the prophet says, your dead shall live together with my dead body. They shall arise, awake, and sing, you who dwell in dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. So let us always remember these miracles, and as we consider them, and as we look at all the miracles in the church, let us, let us have courage to let these teachings and these miracles and the lives of the saints and, and all the icons around us, let it transform it. Let us not have that, that, um, that hard heart that sees all these things and, and the meaning is lost on us and, that, and its effect is lost on us. But let it really, let us have that soft heart that is sensitive to God's calling for us to live that elevated and most excellent life in Christ to whom be glory forever. Amen.